Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And today we're going to do the last word from Stoke on Saturday. We're going to be discussing Rodrigo Muniz, Jay Stansfield's new contract. What's the latest with Fabio Carvalho looking ahead to Blackpool at the weekend, which we believe is happening. And of course, lots of correspondence at the end, including a big moment for this will catch on because finally one of our songs did catch on it's a very very exciting week for the podcast and it's the regular thursday club with me today jack collins hello hello listeners hello sammy how we doing fine thank you and peter rutzler fulham writer for the athletic hey sammy how are you yeah all good thank you for asking so let's do some final word from Stoke on Saturday. Uh, a brilliant win for Fulham. Uh, it did move us eight points clear, Peter. That's now back down to five because Blackburn got a good win against Middlesbrough on Monday. But of course, eight points clear of Bournemouth in third. And Peter, Jack touched on this on Sunday's podcast that he hosted. Yes, it was great. The 7-0, the 2-6-2s. But really this win against Stoke with a depleted side no Mitro no Wilson for me is the most impressive win of the season the circumstances coming back from deficits twice really really showed some character that we may be doubted in this Fulham team earlier in the season yeah no we have definitely doubted that I think you think to the Coventry game and you think to the way the team has responded in those moments of adversity and that sort of underlying sense of maybe Maybe when things get a bit tricky, they they may not be able to deal with it. But um, I don't think it can get too much trickier than the way you know Saturday panned out in terms of losing Alexander Mitrovic, losing Harry Wilson. Obviously, confidence is high and everything else. But you then go a goal down early. You know, <laughs> there's always the expectations that that heads will drop. But um, no, I, I agree. You know, I agree with what Jack said at the weekend. It's um, it's certainly a, a really really important win for Fulham. We we talked about how you you know getting that fourth win in a row is really 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 important. Um, building that momentum, building a gap, making those big wins actually count um, as well. And you don't want to start you know it's, it's great to have those results. You know those those are the results you will remember and look back on really fondly. But you need to actually get get the job done as well. And and going to Stoke was it did feel like that getting the job done. Um, I didn't think the performance was particularly good uh, second half especially. Um, I think the Kenny Tessa injury um, really flawed Fulham a little bit. Um, I mean, it became very, very stop-start. They never really regained control of the game. But despite that, they still found a way to win. And that's that's a really, really important quality to have. And and they never really looked like conceding until the late subs came on and, and had a big impact for Stoke. But um, 
yeah, a massive, massive three points. Really, really important. Could see from just the reaction in the dugout, could see from the reaction among the players. Um, Silver afterwards was really, really pleased. He did very much a poker face whenever he speaks to the media, but he was, I mean, you even used the word statement. Um, and he was talking more about, you know, the fact that it shows we're not reliant on Mitrovic, but we sort of knew that already. I thought it was more a statement because of the fact, as you say, Sammy, coming from behind twice in a week to record a win. Um, and then getting that result when when things are going against you and, and securing it. So, yeah, a big step forward. Jack, on your other podcast, Ranks FC, uh, you often talk about teams and leagues being in the bag. Mm. Now, what what do Fulham have to do from here? And I'm assuming you're not going to say it's in the bag yet. I'm not full stop because I'm way too scared of it to do it with my own club. Like there what, are what, what, can... what level does Fulham have to get to other than mathematically? Yeah, literally mathematically. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there are there are clubs I will call this for. There have been bold calls. I called Ajax having won the Eredivisie in October when they were two points behind um, just because I thought they were so good. But I'm just not willing to to risk it all on this one, I'm afraid. It's just it's just something that I can't risk coming back to bite me. So I'm, I'm afraid not. But look, you know, what you've, what you've got to look at, and, and interestingly, I was watching Steffi Hansen last night talking after the QPR game and he was saying you know they're each point counts and they obviously missed up an opportunity to go and take on and go second outright in their own right or at least have the opportunity to do so with the game in hand um and but in in doing so he said look that the key is that you need to be in touching distance with seven eight games to go uh, and if you're in that then anything can happen because this is the championship and this is what happens and teams get momentum and all of the above you know we're looking at Fulham and we want Fulham to be out of sight of the teams below them with seven, eight games to go, right? And I don't mean that in that 24 points clear because I don't think that's going to be, you know, possible or feasible. But what I do think it is, it is possible to be sort of 14, 15 points clear with nine, 10 games to go. I think you're going to be like the teams below you, as I said, you know, last week, the teams below you are going to start to take points off each other. They're going to be looking at fighting each other. They're going to be wanting Fulham to beat the teams below them in order to keep themselves in the race for that second spot. That's where you're looking to get to, right? It's You're looking to get so the other teams are actually even considering you in the race anymore, because at that point, I think you've done what you need to do mentally to get yourselves over the line. Well, that's why this next six for me, absolutely crucial. The game's coming up. Um, pretty much everyone we face is, I wanted to say they're all in the bottom half, but they're not quite. Huddersfield, the obvious exception, but Blackpool are actually in 12th, so technically in the top half, but pretty much five out of the next six are in the bottom half plus one of the table. So certainly the matches coming up are crucial. Uh, I saw a brilliant article this morning, by the way, which I feel like you'll both enjoy. Uh, it was on The Guardian um, and it talked about about talking, of. Asked, talking, talking, of. Yeah, 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 yeah. talking of me making differences on other uh, old podcasts <laughs> sammy made it onto the biggest football podcast in the world yeah, so yeah i was on yeah. guardian football weekly this week what day what a day all i'm saying it hasn't changed me i'm still the same i'm still the same sammy james that thank you very much i'm still the same sammy that started fulhamish five years ago it's not gone to my head but anyway there was a good article in the guardian and someone asked the question uh, to their stats column that they have fulham atop of the championship with a goal difference of plus 48 i am acutely conscious of their capacity to screw things up however so what is the best goal difference a team has had and not been promoted um, do you want to guess, Jack, what's the best goal difference ever 
are uh, in a British league that has been um, recorded that didn't get promotion. I'll put this to both of you, actually. We'll do closest starts or wins. 56. Peter? I, th- I can imagine there being like a three-horse race in a league and then a team either struggling in the playoffs. So I'll go, I'll go 61. 102. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who got 102 goal difference and didn't get promoted? It was in the Highland League. Uh, oh, for um, Martin oh. United finished second in 2016 with a goal difference of plus 102, which was 32 better than the winners, Cove Rangers. But only the champions got entry into the playoffs for a league place. The league before, Brora won the league with a goal difference of 121, but lost to Montrose in the playoff final. That's non-league, is it not? Well, that's the Highland League as well. And they all fill their boots against Fort William, who went like a couple of years without winning a game and would just get battered every week. But there was no relegation. And so if you took them out of the league, they just wouldn't be football in that area in west of Scotland. So a lot That's of not just- a professional football league, Sammy. I refuse to accept that <laughs> as an answer. Like, okay, it, well- you get promotion to the Scottish Professional Football League. You get promotion to Scottish League Two, which is part of the SPFL, right? But the Island League is not part of the SPFL. I know that one's a bit of a red herring. So in the National League, Hereford United finished second in 0304 with 91 points and a plus 59 um, goal difference. Uh, in recent times, Brentford are the highest. Third in 1920 with a goal difference of plus 42. Stockport <laughs> County, though, in the English professional leagues, I think are the winners with plus 62 in the 29-30 season. That's a dead on guess. <laughs> Well, there we go. You can have the points, Jack. I, that, a genuine guess as well. Like, I had no idea what was going on there. <laughs> like, normally, I sort of half know these things and they're like, Wee-hee. that is just genuinely pure luck of the draw. Well, well done. Um, I will buy you a pint on Saturday. Thank you. I don't, as no, it's your birthday, so you can have a pint. We'll cancel it out. There you go. All, right, um, all good. All good. But let's go back to Stoke, shall we? Yes. Uh, Peter, Rodrigo Muniz um, was the star of the show, really. The most incredible start on Saturday. The fact that Dimaggio Wright-Phillips um, scored after a minute. I'm thinking, oh no, here we go. And then for Fulham to li- I mean, I, or, or go the other end of the pitch and score. What I love is when you listen to the game on the highlights, which don't have any commentary, how loud the Stoke fans are singing because they've just scored. And Rodrigo Muniz shuts the place up in an instant, an absolute rocket. Um, there's been a lot of doubters about Muniz and whether he really can cut it. Is he a legitimate uh, replacement for Mitrovic? And whilst I don't think anyone's looking at Saturday and saying, oh, he's just as good as Mitrovic, maybe he's going to challenge Mitrovic's place. I think he's more than justified his position as the backup striker because his goal record now in the league is, is actually quite impressive. Yes. Yeah, it is. And you're right. There has been that sort of lingering uncertainty about, about Rodrigo Muniz and, it's been a bit, you know, unfair in a sense because he's not really played, has he? I mean, this was only his second league start, so to actually make a, a proper assessment has been difficult. It's probably it's probably difficult anyway because he wasn't getting loads of minutes at Flamenco either. Um, but then you, you still wanted to get that reassurance that if if Mitrovic suffered an injury, hopefully, obviously, God forbid, he doesn't. But if something like that happened, that you wanted someone to come in and and, and can carry the mantle a little bit. Um, Obviously, Muniz is still a long way, long way off what Mitrovic is currently providing, and he's only twenty, and and all the other caveats that that come with it. But in terms of his performance on on Saturday, it was really quite reassuring. In, not just in the fact that he scored 
one goal officially probably could have been maybe should have been two but should have been two as far as it I'm should concerned. have been two disgrace um not not just because of that but his all-round play I thought was 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 pretty good and I, I can't remember if we discussed it after the Bristol City Cup game but I didn't think he played particularly well that day I didn't think his hold-up play was particularly good I think I think Rob Atkinson I think was a central defender if I remember rightly who was marking him I thought he had his number really that day um, and I was like oh, okay there's still there's still a few rungs to go here in terms of his development, in terms of getting used to the the British game, which is very, very different to, to what he would have been used to. I thought he was very, very good on Saturday, and especially in that respect, in terms of bringing Fulham up the field, his ability to link the play, holding the ball, and it just, just holding it for that extra second or two. Just, it can make all the difference for when a team needs to move up and get forward, combined really well with those around him as well. And, and of course, the finishing, that's... that's 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 what strikers are judged by, and oh, scoring so early made such a massive difference. And to score in that way, to silence the crowd like he did, um, it was one of those strange ones because I'm so fast. I mean, I was just up and down. I was trying to, you know, do my my classic tweet. Oh, Fulham are in a four three three again, which I probably could have done anyway. But um, it was one of those. You just look up and something was happening, um, and then you have got the noise going on. And then when the ball goes in, you're never quite sure. And this was definitely the case for the away end with the with the second goal because you, you almost need the sound for reassurance, just to say, oh, this is a goal. <laughs> like this has gone in the top corner. It's clearly a goal, and it's still Hartley's like, is it a goal? <laughs> and it bounces down, and you get the noise. Um, but yeah, fantastic finish, massive confidence boost, and from there you just saw it. I mean, there was a great flick. I don't know if you guys I, like that flick in the first half where he's just done it over the defender's head. Like, he has that sort of Brazilian flair. So we've seen those glimpses, um, but it's his all-round perf- performance and, and those the gritty side, the gritty side. I think, which is what Fulham showed overall, and I think he reflected that. Yeah, I mean, that's it, isn't it? It's that it's that confidence that erupts straight away. And then suddenly, you know, you have that moment. If one of those goes in, if that comes off the bar, right, and or it goes over the bar by a, a couple of inches, you suddenly are like, oh, here we go again. You know, it, it does feel like that because obviously there was the Derby game where it just wouldn't fall for him and it just didn't fit and, and nothing quite came off. And, you know, getting that boost of confidence, there's a lot of pressure on that because obviously you stepped in for Mitrovic, people are going, oh, this could be a nightmare. You're already kind of bearing a load here and, and without Wilson is a double whammy. Um, and then you go to that and you finish straight away and then suddenly the whole game opens up for minutes and he looks so confident. He looks so comfortable. He obviously hits the bar. He tries to get touched on the Carvalho, whether he, says, whether he gets it or not. He's in the right positions. He's in the right places. He's winning headers against a difficult back line, you know, to Marshall. There's three players there. And Howard Bellis is, is, is a massively rare talent, I know, at Manchester City. And then you've got the kind of old war dogs in, in James Chester and, and Phil Jagielka. This, that is not an easy back line to come up against. And we talked about this post-Derby, right? We talked about the fact that he came up against two experienced heads that knew how to marshal him and he wasn't given a sniff through the whole game because of that. This time, he was able to kind of negate that by running into the game on such high confidence because of that early goal that he was able to then kind of throw his weight around a little bit, get on the end of things, open up wide, go make runs. It was really, really impressive and really, really good to see. Um, Peter, you wrote an article on um, the solution that Muniz solved on Saturday. It was called No Mitrovic, No Problem. And what I love is your line at the end, which I hadn't really clocked until I read it, which was winning at Stoke City is never easy. And Fulham had failed on their last four visits. The last time they triumphed, cult hero Chris Baird scored twice, leading fans to christen him Berdino. It was an actual Brazilian who pushed Fulham to victory this time. And yeah, very very fair point actually 
Chris Baird got the nickname for an absolute rocket or two at Stoke City. So maybe it's going to be the moment that endears Rodrigo Muniz to the fans. Everything changed for Chris Baird after that moment. Yeah, right. A passage game, wasn't it? Um, well, for Rodrigo Muniz of the weekend, but for, for Chris Baird, because he had that very difficult start, didn't he? And under Laurie Sanchez and then uh, Mark Hughes at that point, wasn't it? And it was quite yeah. an important game for, for Hughes as well. Um, and those two goals were absolute rockets. Unbelievable goals. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's the nice easy parallel to do there. But for 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 Moon is it's I want I, I obviously didn't get a chance to speak to him, and, and it might be a while before we do with the language and everything. But I do wonder if he was aware of the sort of the connotations of doing well at Stoke, you know, in, in January in the cold. I'm sure I'm sure it would have been mentioned to him in in the dressing room about, about that and uh, all those cliches that go with it. But I mean, it, in terms of, but it only adds to the, the confidence element, doesn't it? Once you know these things that. Better in the cap, you can do it. You can compete in this team. You're you are part of the team, which is one of the big challenges. Um, he went over and celebrated with Ivan Cavallero on the touchline after he scored. Kevin uh, Cavallero was there. Michael Hector was there. You know, I think that's one of the big challenges for Marco Silva is making sure that everyone feels included. You know, there are players who don't make the squad who feel like they and should be really consider their ability playing regularly at this level. Um, so trying to, to keep that feel good factor is important and. And when you when you're a, when you're a striker who's brought in, he wants to score goals, wants to be playing. Um, these are the moments you've got to um, embrace and take forward, and, and and that's what that's what's happened over the weekend. And you know, hopefully that that's 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 the kind of boost, the kind of thing that ticks him over uh, in the coming weeks. One thing that was interesting, though, Peter, was was it Rodrigo Muniz's goal for that second? There was the little flick, which on the replay, it definitely seemed to me like Muniz got a touch on it. It's gone down as a Fabio Carvalho goal. I really enjoyed the interview that Jeff Bruce did with both Fabio and Muniz after the game. He asks, whose goal was it? Was it your goal, Rodrigo? And and, and Rodrigo goes, I just like don't ask silly questions, Jeff. Um, but you said you've done some digging into this and, to, and as to why it's gone down as Fabio's goal and why the dubious goals panel didn't get involved. Yeah, I mean, loose digging in, in the loosest sense of the word of, of digging on, on what actually happened. But yeah, it's it has it's gone down as Carvalho's goal. Um, and I'm with you. I think it was. I think it should really be Rodrigo Muniz's goal because I think he, I think not only does he just get that tiniest little touch, but I actually think it might just take it inside the post uh, or at least make it just trickle into off the post in that way. And it may not have done so um, if it stayed on its current course. Not that the goal wasn't deserved for Fabio Carvalho because he wins the ball back, creates oh, yeah. it and then finishes it. So um, a tricky one. And I'm sure further down the line, if he did end up leaving, it would be good for his compensation package. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so with goals like this, they could go to the dubious goals panel, which does actually exist, which is a thing. Um, but it how do you get, get on it? That's what I want to know. Ah, so this is what I found out. So it only gets oh, as in to work on it, or how yeah. the goal gets there. No, oh, I, I guess the know, goal I'm, gets there. Okay. I don't know. What, I don't know. <laughs> I, I want to know how I can get there. Oh, I don't know. I honestly don't. I think I think it's hidden. I think there's there was a, a Guardian piece done on it a while back, and it's yeah, like to, I think it's former players and officials, but they're unnamed so that they're not unduly influenced about wow. making a goal decision, which wow. seems almost a bit silly. But um, Is there that much pressure? Are people blackmailing you? Are people like sending you death threats? Because you well, said Rodrigo that- Rodrigo Muniz might. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it matters, you know, with goal bonuses and things like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe it does. Maybe it does. Oh Although, yeah, maybe there's sneaky players being like, I'll give you 50% of my goal bonus. It could be to do with betting as well, maybe as well. Yeah, that no, good point. 
Um, but yeah, in terms of the goal itself, it has to be, it either gets flagged up to them if the referee and the club send two different names, which didn't happen in this case. So the, both the club and the referee, I think it was Dean Whitestone was referee, um, said it was Fabio Carvalho's goal. And the only other way it would then get reviewed by the Dubious Goals panel is if Fulham appealed. And I'm not sure if they have done that. I don't think they intend to do that. So um, that's how it, how it stands, really. It's uh, gone to Fabio. Wow. Okay. I did not know how this works. I mean, can, um, you know, club podcasters who run a semi-successful club podcast get on the dubious goals panel? Do you know if that may be the criteria for Jack, if he ever wants to uh, appear on it? Yeah, maybe, perhaps. Who knows? We'll, um, we'll see how it goes. I'll, I'll wait, I'll wait in, impatiently for my, uh, for my call up. For the letter through the post, yeah, like the stone like, cutters in the Simpsons. Well, I was thinking more Harry Potter. Like I'm going to get like, thousands of them down the chimney. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> that's how I expect you get invited to the dubious goals panel. Um, you have been cordially say. invited to the dubious goals panel. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we meet at the, uh, the, the 19th hole at nine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you have it. Very good. Uh, if you want to read Peter's piece on Rodrigo Muniz and the impact he had on Saturday, go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod and you can get 33% off an annual athletic subscription. After the break, we're going to be discussing Blackpool and Jay Stadfield's new contract. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello, hello. Jack, by the time that this podcast is out, Jean-Michel Seri will have played a very important match at mm. the African Cup of Nations. Um, yeah. We don't know what's going to happen at the moment, but a big night uh, for, for Jean-Michel Seri. Um, almost pointless to discuss it because it literally will be a result by the time people hear <laughs> this. But uh, oh, yeah. are they favourites? Um. Oh, it's a pretty even one. It's arguably you'd look at it on paper and say it's probably the most even of the of the eight round of 16 games. Um, it's probably the one with the two highest quality teams on both sides of it, Nigeria, Tunisia, perhaps. But yeah, it, it does feel like it's a, it's a real on a knife edge. I would make the Ivory Coast favourites. Um, having watched them and having watched Egypt, Egypt feel a little bit all over the place. Um, obviously, they have Mohamed Salah, so they can kind of do what they want. And if he gets the ball in the right areas, then he will score. And Egypt did improve. They started off really poorly and then they improved. But um, the Ivory Coast have really impressed me. Um, I've been I've been pretty taken aback by how good they've been, especially in the last two games. Um, that win over Algeria, obviously, in the last game where Algeria were fighting to stay in the competition, the favourites, the holders, um, and they dispatched them with, with consumer ease and Seri was absolutely magnificent in the middle again. So, yeah, um, I, I fancy them, I think, on paper to get through this. But as we've seen this week, um, that's not much in terms of how things go. And, and it has been a, a bit of a mad round of 16. I think we've had, if I'm not mistaken, six red cards in six games. Mm. Um Maybe seven, in fact. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there's been a lot going on. Um, and, and I'm sure we're going for an entertaining game. If it gets through this one, they beat Egypt here. You've got to start to think about Avery Coast as, as 
maybe favourites for this entire thing because they'll have they'll have probably dispatched the best group of sides thus far if they get through this. Yeah, of course. Well, if uh, again permutations combinations, if Seri does go out tonight. Peter, um, does that mean that he could return for Blackpool? Surely too soon. Maybe more likely Man City. I mean, he'd be he'd be he'd return before Blackpool. I don't think he would. Mikel play. Arteta chucked Thomas Partey in on the day yeah. he arrived. That, <laughs> that went, went well. That went very well. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no. So he he would return, and it would mean I think that Fulham wouldn't have uh, three internationals during this break. So I know there's been a lot of talk about whether they'll postpone it or not. Um, they, I think they need Seri to to stay out there to be able to request a uh, a postponement for, for Saturday. Um, it doesn't look like they're going to do that at the moment. I think they want to play the game. That's all the, the noises I've heard so far anyway. I think, that, I think we're all heard similar things on that front. So planning ahead for the, for the weekend. But um, I know we've had a lot of speculation about that. But I think with all the games that have been rearranged, trying to get this played is important. And, and Fulham have, have lost Anthony Robinson and Bobby Decker dover to for the United States and um, for Jamaica for their World Cup qualifiers. And um, it hasn't extended to Tim Ream and, and Michael Hector as well. So um, for now, for now, it's good. Yeah. And um, it's good news that it's being played, in, in my opinion. I, th- I remember back uh, in December where we spotted this potential problem. I think we expected one of Hector or Ream to get called up. And given the run of form that Fulham are on and then the fixture pile up that is kind of in place for February and a bit of March. It's not quite as severe as I think we once feared that it might be, particularly with the Middlesbrough game being put back to April. Um, It seems like a sensible decision to play this game, Peter. Obviously, Robinson is going to be a loss. He's been playing well, but looks like Joe Bryan might be um, fit to play. He was isolating um, either with or because of COVID. I don't actually know the full SP there, but looks like he should be back for this game being well yeah looks like he he will be back in contention for for the game I guess the only question mark concerns what's going on with Mitrovic and Wilson obviously the official line is illness but you know uh you can look into the rumors yourselves um so we'll see see we'll see what it see what comes from from that and what what that means in terms of everyone else too so um but yeah I think if they're fine then yeah I mean that's going to be okay, and I mean, there's, there's still enough in that squad. We saw against Stoke, they can do, they can do well, and it's, uh, as much as Blackpool are a good team, and we'll talk about them in a bit. But um, you would think that Fulham could come through this game and give themselves a break further down the line, rather than the an extended Saturday Tuesday slog for the foreseeable. Yeah, Jack, what changes would you make then, other than the obvious one because of um, Robinson and, and Decadover Reed's injuries? It is tough to know without Mitrovic and Wilson being confirmed whether they're back or not. I, I have a sneaky feeling they will be back, that Fulham will work out a way for them to return. But again, it is hard to know without um, any facts uh, at all. Um, there's no question of, of, of Rodrigo Muniz somehow staying in the starting lineup, even with Mitrovic returning. Well, there's not if Mitrovic returns. But, but not, no, not then... trying to find a way to play Mooners as well. I don't know, stick him on the wing or something. I haven't enjoyed it when we've played the two of them together, to be honest, this season. Um, they do feel like they, they, they get in each other's way a bit. Um, I don't, you know, obviously we've seen switch of systems. We've seen us go two up top. They seem to go for the same ball a lot. Now, I imagine mostly that's because we don't, 
spend too much time in practice or in, in practice in training um working on a two in up front formation because we don't feel like we're going to use it that much but when it very much is kitchen sink time from mark or when it has been and um, we've seen it a little bit and and it does feel a bit convoluted should we say um so i would be not trying to get them in together um but you know i i'd, I'd hope you'd hope that if Mitrovic has been ill or, or whatever the reason he's been out for, if he's been, if he's been ill with whatever, um, then he might not be able to, to completely do 90 minutes. And that gives you an opportunity to give Rodrigo hopefully another 30 minutes with less pressure on him as well. You know, hopefully we'd already be winning a game by that point. We've seen Fulham start fast quite a lot. Um, and you'd be looking to, for him to, to come on and try and, you know, make a dent, but also uh, not have the necessary pressure that he had on him last week. Obviously he thrived under it and I appreciate that, but you don't want to stick that on a, and such a young player all every week right so if you can get in minutes that are kind of comfy then that's ideal um I, I don't think you make too many changes I'll be really intrigued obviously Joe Bryan coming back from isolation um and from COVID so it'd be interesting to see how he gets on um and I suppose the big question therefore is if Kenny Tetter is out which we assume because he walked off with what looked like a muscular injury how do you fill the fullback void uh, if Bobby's gone Dennis is going to have to play right back. Um, and Joe Bryan is, you know, you'd assume going to have to play left back, which means there's no other senior fullbacks in the squad. Marlon Fossey's gone out on loan to Bolton, where he seems having a good time. Um, but it does open up a potential spot for Ziad Larkesh, who's been having a, a bit of a stormer of a season with the unders um, by all accounts and is very much hailed as a real talent when Fulham brought him in a couple of years back. Um, maybe this is his opportunity, maybe not to be in the squad, um, be in the first team, but to be in the squad. And Marco does like rotating a fullback or two, so he might get a couple of minutes. What do you think, Peter? Is it a possibility? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's been training with the first team, so um, he didn't wasn't involved with the under-23s game against Stoke. So reading between the lines there, he's clearly probably, with, unless there's some kind of injury uh, that I'm not aware of, um, then he's he, he may well give himself a chance of, maybe as Jack says, maybe not necessarily getting minutes, maybe he does, but or, or even necessarily getting on the squad list, but just giving the chance to impress in training as much as anything. Um, those sort of that time period when you spend with with the senior coaching staff, they get to know you, they get to know your game. Um, that's that's a really important opportunity. So e- even in that sense, it's good. And as Jack said, you know he's been playing really well for the under twenty threes. He's won Premier League two um, Division two player of the month a couple of times now. I think. Yeah, I think it's twice. Yeah, so it's twice. So that's. That's really good going as well. Um, I think he, he had a, an okay season last year, but he's definitely kicked on this time around with the team itself playing a lot better overall. We've talked about their fantastic winning run. Um, so good opportunity for him. Uh, the other name is Steven Sessignon as well. I think he's still around, but um, he hasn't been involved for a bit. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, a bit weird how we've gone from almost an embarrassment of riches at fullback only a few weeks ago. Then we've loaned out Cyrus Christie. We've loaned out Marlon Fossey. We've lost Anthony Robinson and Decadova Reed, who can both play fullback to the internationals. And yeah, and right now we are a little bit um, bare bones for, for this particular game. But of course... Robinson and Decadova Reed will be back for the Man City game and then we'll be back to having more than enough of a yeah. complement of, of fullbacks. And it, speaking of Cyrus Christie, by the way, doing really well at, uh, at Swansea in his early appearances for them. So uh, big up, Cy. Um, let's look ahead at Blackpool specifically then. And obviously this is one of those teams that are one of the uh, four teams to have beaten us so far 
this season. Um, it was our first defeat of the season, Jack, up at Bloomfield Road. You were there. And I think we saw that at that point, uh, Blackpool hadn't won a game, but I think we all knew that they were on the verge of doing so. And they're definitely no pushovers. They're in the top half of the table, which considering they've come up from League One is a, is a brilliant return from them. Um, they do uh, haven't been on the best of runs recently. Um, they've won a few games that they would expect to win, the likes of Millwall at home, Hull at home, Peterborough at home, and and lost maybe some of the trickier games that they faced against the likes of um, Middlesbrough and Darp, against the likes of Middlesbrough and Luton, etc. But most of all, they are an impressive team and one that I think we cannot underestimate, even given our run of form that we've been on. Again, I don't see this being a six or a seven. I think it could be a tight match, particularly with us missing a few key players. Yeah, I mean, they're a well, well-drilled well side that know what they're doing. And that obviously was their first win of the season. And then they went on uh, a bit of a streak from there. I think they only lost three of their next 10, if I'm not mistaken, uh, mm. including the Fulham win. So uh, it was a, a really impressive kind of, of kick on. Just before, well, in sort of mid-November, they had a good run of draws against good sides. They drew with QPR, who was up there. Drew with West Brom, who obviously up there. Drew with Swansea, who were on a bit of a, a charge themselves at that point. Um, so, yeah, it, it does feel like they're a, a side that know how to frustrate and how to, well, get through teams. And, and they've done so, and they did so against us. Like, yes, we weren't very good that day. But, you know, you double that down with the fact that Blackpool were quite good. And they, you know, they opened us up on a number of occasions. We looked defensively suspect. Um, and we thought, I know at that point that it felt like Fulham were on a on a bit of a steamroll, but you know they they brought that down to earth pretty quickly, and um, uh, yeah, it's going to be tricky, I would imagine. We're going to see uh, you know similar results. They've had two one nils in a row um, over the last couple of league fixtures. They've had a really odd one in the cup where they lost two one to Hartlepool, um, and I, I'm not quite sure what was going on uh, at that point. But you know two one nil wins at home um, of late, which you'd look at and think, okay, this is a side that doesn't concede many. They're not you know they're not going to be uh, any pushovers and I, I think that Fulham should get the job done here but in no stretch of the imagination is going to be easy. Blackpool have lost uh, former Fulham man Luke Garber I saw to injury. Uh, they also have um, a couple of other former Fulham men in the likes of James Husband and Josh Bowler who has actually been linked with us uh, a little bit this January as well Peter. He was the man that got the goal um, against Fulham um, back in in September. Uh, what have you made of the, the limited times I imagine that you've seen Blackpool play this season? I think it might be a, diff- a slightly different team. So you sort of mentioned it there. I mean, they've lost a couple of players who've gone back on loan. I was just thinking back to the game back at Bloomfield Road. Um, I was very impressed with the midfield, which was Wintle and Stewart that day. And obviously Stewart's still there, but Wintle's gone back to Cardiff. Um, Tyrese John Jules also caused a lot of problems. He's now gone on loan to Sheffield Wednesday, I think. Yeah. Um, so I think... Which is a bit even, of a strange move, that. He was doing okay. Yeah, yeah he seems to be a good fit, didn't it? Um, yeah, odd. But yeah, so I think it, it might be a slightly different Blackpool team with slightly different threats. And I think that was, you know, the, the energy they had that day. Fulham were quite lethargic. Um, it really did cause quite a few problems. And, and Bowler obviously scored the goal. I think he's had a, a, an okay season. I, wouldn't, I think he's been okay. He's obviously attracted yeah. a lot of interest. Forrest, I think, are the, uh, are the big ones chasing him at the moment. Um, I'm not sure about Fulham's interest. I, I wouldn't rule anything out, but uh, it's not something I've heard myself. Um, and my, I'd be a little surprised, I think. But, um, you know, that they've had to have that reshuffle, which which happens, I suppose, when you're doing well. Players then want to either compete back in their first team, you know, their parent club, or 
want to see if they can go one better. So uh, a little a little mix up with them, but they've got a good coach in, in Neil Critchley. Um, he's done, he's re- really done an impressive job with them, getting them up. And obviously, as you say, middle of the table at the moment, which is more than you'd want for a newly promoted side. And they will make life difficult. Um, but I, I, looking at the, the strength of the two teams, even with Fulham's changes, it's it seems like this 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 will be a game that Fulham should should win. Um, Peter, it's uh, only a few days away until the end of the transfer window. Um, By the time uh, next Thursday club rolls around, the transfer will will have slammed shut. Um, Do we have any indication of Fulham being active? As far as I'm hearing, it could be a transfer window of of no arrivals, which sounds on the outset like a bad thing, but I think we didn't expect an awful lot. And I don't think we need an awful lot, but yeah. Do we think that Tony might be tempted on January 31st, make a cheeky bid for a player or two? I mean, obviously Tony's going to be tempted on the deadline day. Like that's just what he does, isn't it? Um, he wakes up like Christmas. It's, it's like, yes. Who cool could I sign? I would too, if I was able to do things on deadline day, it'd be well fun. You'd be like, we're here. What am I going to get up to today? Um, um, uh, it's been a quiet window, but as you say, I don't think Fulham need to do anything drastic unless this uh, circumstances change. Um, Kenny Tetter's interesting. I think uh, I haven't heard any sort of um, change of plan uh, in the same way that Silver talked about in the summer. But he's got a groin injury, so however severe that is uh, and what it um, what it may entail, then maybe that changes things because, as you say, Sammy, the fullbacks have gone on gone out on loan. So. Um, yeah, one one to see. I, I'm I, I'm not expecting much. I'll always um, pencil off the entirety of deadline day as busy with Fulham right into the middle of the night. That's just seems to be how it goes. I've learned that one pretty quick. Um, but yeah, it would just depend what becomes available, I suppose. And I I think what Fulham probably don't want to do is end up with more bodies. You know, what is already a big squad. We've seen about the links um, with Anthony Knockhart. They've received, I think, one I know about is the, the Como one, which is a really nice place to go. I mean, if you're going to go on loan somewhere, oh, living yeah. near Lake Como wouldn't, wouldn't be too bad at Wasn't all. Wasn't Jack Wilshire there for a bit? What, playing? Did he play no, or was he I just training? No, I think he just trained with them for a while. If I'm not mistaken, doesn't Jody Morris own it or something? Isn't he part of the staff or someone bizarre? Is it Dennis Wise? Someone's got, someone of that ilk is involved with Como. Um, Jack Wilshire, I think, was there training for a while while he was trying to get fit. No idea, but that is very cool if it was true. I can imagine Mrs. Knockhart being quite happy with with that one. I'm just, yeah. I'm just trying to find yeah, out that's who this you're right, Jack. Is. He's the CEO. Dennis Wise is the CEO. <laughs> wow. Think, there you go. Um, Random niche. That's a nice place to be. But yeah, so if he if he goes out and then obviously Terrace Congolo is the one, the other defender they, they want to move on. Uh, to get him some minutes, there's interest from Dutch clubs in him, whether he actually gets a loan, we will see. Maybe then you have different circumstances and maybe then you you might see a, a move that's probably been been looked at. But I've not had the indication that there's any desperate need. Um, obviously, there are players they're interested in. You see them pop up every now and again. But um, at this point, it's looking quiet. But famous last words, and we'll talk about that next week. Um, and then news of Jay Stansfield's contract, Jack, uh, he's signed until 2024. Fulham have the option to extend his contract until 2025. Been a bit of a strange season for Jay. I think maybe he would have hoped to make a few more inroads with the first team, but the arrival of Rodrigo Muniz has kind of sewn up that and second strike. 
and the injury has sewn up that st- second striker slot. But then again, he's had positives this year. He has had some minutes. He scored that brilliant goal against Birmingham in the League Cup, which I think was massively important. Just a, a slight, like, I am a, a serious player kind of moment for Jay Stansfield. One that certainly made the Fulham fans, I think, stand up and take notice if they hadn't already. And look, Fulham have had a, a, a long history of not tying down players before they've broken into the team onto decent contracts. It feels like Jay's moment is around the corner. It's important that we've done this. And hopefully this is the start of a trend at Fulham that we sign players up before they... It's too late. It's too late. I mean, I know that there's complicated reasons why Fulham can't. It's not necessarily because Fulham just forgot or don't realise or whatever, but it's a good sign, I think, and maybe a bit of progress on that front. Because if if Jay Stansfield becomes a brilliant player in the next couple of years, at least Fulham might get a bit of a fee for him if he uh, if there's a transfer interest elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, it's tricky, right? And and it's one of those positions where he's obviously come in behind Alexander Mitrovic, who leads the line, who is the club's number number nine. Mjolnir um, has come in and he's been good for long periods. His goal record, as we spoke about earlier, is excellent. Um, and it does limit opportunities. I suppose maybe what we'd like to see and, and maybe what would be would be nice to see is a little bit more if Fulham are trying to chuck the, the kitchen sink at teams and, and Fulham are trying two strikers up front maybe thinking about the fact that Stansfield is a slightly different mold of striker to the other two um, is something that, that will come into play later down the line because it does give you that something different rather than just having two players who, who are trying to do the same thing you know up, up that top so so maybe Stansfield opportunity comes about because of that you know we're seeing this and we saw Munir step up and, and be that guy so there's obviously going to be moments but it's really nice to see Jay Stansfield sign that contract um, obviously important to try and tie young players who have been absolutely unbelievable believable down uh, for for the first team and you look at you know in the future two three years down the line that that might be absolutely crucial because that might have been the point where Jay Stansfield really did come into his own we're still you know there is that question as to if you could shift Jay Stansfield into a wide forward role if you do start to play with more direct wingers and you are looking at playing two wingers who do the same thing cut inside and and, and try and get onto their shooting foot is there a place for Jay Stansfield playing off um off one of the sides to try and come inside I know that's how a lot of young strikers these days you look at someone like Rafael Leal um at AC Milan who isn't going to get into that number nine spot because Zlatan and Giroud are there um, and has kind of reverted to that left forward role where he's been absolutely devastating this season, getting in behind, getting onto that strong foot and getting behind the defensive line, especially if you don't have runners and we don't in Mitrovic who who make that run particularly often. So there's things to consider in that regard in terms of how Jay plays, um, but uh, really good to see it get over the line. And in the words of, in the words of our social channels yesterday, one down, one to go. Yeah, um, Peter, it is really great news. And of course, it is leading a lot of people to think whether Fulham can achieve the same with Fabio. I assume no news on that. But aside from that, a really great moment. You did that fantastic piece on Jay's dad, the Adam Stansfield Foundation, a few weeks ago. He comes from a a great family, uh, a brilliant cause and well worth a read that, by the way, if you haven't read it already on The Athletic, uh, theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod if you want to sign up. 
it feels like he's on the cusp of something really good for Fulham. And actually, I thought what Jack said there, potentially playing him as a, a wide forward instead of trying to directly replace Alexander Mitrovic could be a, a sensible suggestion. Um, Marco Silva seems to like to give Niskins a rest um, and, and take him off 20 minutes before the end. And generally that's for a decade over read. Um, but maybe Stansfield could be a, a, a surprising option, especially if we're in control of a game. Yeah, I think if you're a youngster, you probably will play anywhere that you can, really. And if it means that gives him more opportunities, as Jack outlined, then there's certainly something he should consider. I, I think he's had sort of moments in those areas for the youth team. I think mainly plays through the middle or just off a striker. Maybe yeah. that could be sort of his 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 role as well. And um, it is really good news. And I think also just one other thing is that for those in the academy now, some of the young players looking upwards. It shows that some some players do stay. <laughs> um, we know there's a, there is a lot of noise about those who go, but some some do stay. And whether he does kick on now, whether he does make those next steps, we'll see. And it's the same with any young player. And injuries change things. All sort of things can can happen. But he's clearly got a lot of potential. And if, even if he doesn't take that next step, you know, Fulham are in a good position where longer term they they can make money or they can if they were to sell him. I, I hope he <laughs> fulfills his potential. But it leaves him in a good position in in that sense. Um, and yeah, as you say, Sam, he's on that cusp now of, of breaking into first team and getting senior minutes. That's got to be his priority. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens if Fulham go up to the Premier League. I imagine he would be then be might be an opportunity to go into the championship and, and get minutes that way. Um, we'll, be, we'll have to see how, how he does in these next few weeks, see if he can really take those next steps to really say I can be in the first team picture, particularly um, in, in the top flight too. Um, but yeah, it's, his family will be really proud, and and and, and you know, it's um, he's following in the footsteps of his dad, Adam, and 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 you know, it's a, it's a really lovely story, and it's great to see him continue his journey at, at Fulham. Yeah, we got a couple of emails. We're going to do some more emails in a second, but a couple of them were on youth football, so it seems pertinent to bring them in here. Uh, Keith from Bournemouth writes: My reason for contacting you guys was it was sad to see that Patrick Roberts has been released on a free by Man City and has gone to League One with Sunderland. I know he had stints with Celtic and Norwich, but he was hailed as uh, some sort of new Johnny Haynes for us. And it seems a real shame that he didn't stay put. Yes, he's probably secure for life by financially, but boy, it seems such a waste. Um, Jack, what's your thoughts on, on Patrick Roberts going to Sunderland? I mean, the downfall of Roberts, I just think is just terribly sad. I don't blame him or think that I, I, I think we'd have all been very tempted to make the same move in, in his shoes, but yeah, it's a real shame what, what's happened to Patrick. I hope that Sunderland is maybe the place where he finds his name and look, maybe he can be a top class football league attacking midfielder. Once again, whether he gets back to the Premier League, remains to be seen, probably unlikely, but let's hope at least he can try and make his name in League One or the Championship because he's surely good enough to to cut his mustard there. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really strange one, right? He, I'm really glad he's finally kind of cut adrift of the, the Man City machine, right, in some ways. Now, obviously, City is an amazing place for certain players to be uh, and certain players to come through. And I'm not knocking Man City as a whole because I think that they've done a really good job in certain players and, and their development. But it wasn't the right place for Patrick Roberts. Now, we didn't know this at the time um, and he couldn't have known this at the time, although he was a Liverpool fan and Liverpool were interested in him and he decided to go to City instead. And, and maybe there's something in that, but it, it just was all these things where he wasn't playing at Fulham. It's really easy to forget that now, 
that when Patrick Roberts left, he wasn't getting games under Kit Simons. Kit Simons was, you know, reticent to use him. Um, and we, we saw that through the year. And eventually he left at the end of that year, having had a good year for the youngers, but not anything in the first team when it felt like Fulham were crying out for creativity. So do I blame him for leaving at that time? Absolutely not. Because it was go and play in the academy at Manchester City or go and play in the academy at Fulham because no one is giving you a first team chance. Um, you're obviously going to take the academy of the higher club every time. I think this is quite different to someone like a Harvey Elliott or a Fab in this regard because I think those players would be getting more first team minutes if they stick around. Whereas I didn't think that was the case with Patrick Roberts. Um, obviously, he went off to Celtic and was absolutely unbelievable for a, for a little while. He had two really good years, or I think it might have been a year and a half, but at Celtic where I think he was on loan twice in separate occasions. Um, he was brilliant, like really, really, really good big part of of title winning teams he won cups he won trebles he won the whole shebang at Celtic and they wanted to sign him permanently and City said no and when that happened he then went through this really weird spiral where he didn't go anywhere for a little while and then he went off to Girona if I'm not mistaken on loan and then he had little stints with Norwich he got called back after six months after not playing went off to Middlesbrough didn't really set the place on fire I think he was at Derby perhaps at one point um, and then he went off this year to Troyes in France um, who are another part of the city network um, and it just wasn't working out there either so I'm really glad that he's free of this kind of overarching thing about having to come back to city and, and return uh, and maybe Sunderland is the place it's easy to forget that despite the fact this league one they're a massive club um, with an incredible home support. Um, and it does feel like a matter of time before Sunderland are back in the championship. And once they are and they start to get their feet back under the table, you'd imagine if they've sorted out the absolute catastrophe what it was at the stop of that club, uh, it does feel like they're moving in the right direction. And perhaps there is something to, to say about them returning to the top level. Whether he's part of that or not is a different question, but I hope it's somewhere where he's given the minutes, given the options, um, and therefore can start to get his career back on track because he really was a special talent. Um, um, and it was sad to see how it kind of spiraled out of control. Uh, Rufus asks the question saying, uh, by the way, love the podcast, been listening since 2018 and with no Fulham supporting friends, this podcast is a godsend. So thank you for listening, Rufus. And I'm glad that we keep you company. He said, my question is why can't the club convince our youth products to stay? I understand our status as a yo-yo club is a problem, but we're in a very affluent area of London. There's a guarantee that they might occasionally play some Premier League football. Um, the alternative is going to big clubs, sitting the under 23s, getting cup games and maybe the last 10 minutes on occasion. That's stores their development so they send them out on loan sending this young kids to clubs with different objective cultures and identities and always to a team worse than us he then says that we actually could have a team of youth products who either uh, moved away from Fulham at an early age or are still there now um, and he, he understands the economical model of Fulham having an academy and this comes back to Fabio Carvalho Peter is just why are Fulham struggling to get some of these players nailed, nailed down and I'll lead that on to have you heard much about whether Fabio is staying or going in the last week has it has has the needle changed I mean we, we've talked about how Fulham struggles with keeping players um, and each situation tends to be unique um, I think Fulham's main issues are, as as he acknowledged there, um, you know, the fact that they are going up and down through the divisions is the big problem. It's a big problem. Um, without that stability, you you have a manager either fighting to stay in the top flight or fighting to get promotion, and that reduces the the chance that they will take a risk on a on a younger player. And when you have a manager turnover, and Fulham have changed their manager quite a few times in the last five years, 
you're not building one relationship with the manager, but two, they're not learning about the players. They're not going to give you that chance to trust. And when they come in, they want their own players. They will want, you know, when they've got to try and play, to play those risks, when Marcus Silva comes in, sure, he has used a lot of young players and things have gone well, so that helps. But you want to, if, the, if you're offered the chance of signing someone that you know is already a senior pro, already has X amount of appearances, you're more likely to do it. Um, and, and you guys, you guys talked about it as well. There, there, there was that sort of dilemma of what do you want to be? Where, where do you want to go as a, a club? Do you want to just really focus on these young players coming through and take the hits that come with it? Because when you do, I think Arsene Wenger did, made that famous quote that sometimes if you play a, fame, a, a younger player, you're going to lose, I don't know, 12 points in a season because of the mistakes they make. If we were to take Fabio's situation, obviously Fabio's in the first team now, so that's not really the question for him about but playing, it's the level he can play at and what he thinks is best for his development. Um, where where does he think his career path would be best served? Um, would it be playing for Fulham in the Premier League next year um, in a team that's battling against relegation? Or would it be learning from or training alongside players at an elite club um, or potentially getting a loan into a different environment? Who knows? Um, but these are, these are the other factors that they will be factoring in in terms of what suits them and, and, and what will work. Um, and, and each player's individual, some will see that as, as Fulham being the, the best way to do it and, and others won't. Um, in terms of Fabio Carvalho's situation, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's dragging on a bit. Fulham don't want to sell him, understandably. I mean, you can see his importance to, to, to the team. If he doesn't sign anything and if it ends up dragging on towards the end of the season there will be a battle I mean I've had all sorts of clubs and to be honest it's you always see the different names that are mentioned and <laughs> part of me sometimes goes well who isn't actually interested who isn't actually looking at him at the moment who who would go no thanks I don't fancy this really talented well apparently Southampton have that's uh <laughs> that's something that I've heard on the grapevine the last couple of days and Southampton at one point looked to be front runners for Fabio Carvalho um it looks like they have seen all this latest bits and bobs with, with Liverpool and with the agent change and gone not quite sure actually we want this kind of bloke in the club so um the the, yeah. the reports are that Southampton's interest has cooled um yeah. on Fabio now that's not to say they would say no if he suddenly rocked up I'd imagine to St Mary's tomorrow and said no I'm coming here I want to come here um, lifelong Saints fan but um, yeah very much uh, they seem to have cooled their interest yeah and that, that sort of follows up when, I'm, when we talk about Liverpool because Liverpool are interested Liverpool really like him um, and I think once that starts to become more public knowledge that can influence what other clubs want to make overtures now in terms of Fabio's situation right now I did, we did a, I did a piece last week with a couple of my colleagues with James Pierce who covers Liverpool Kiva O'Neill also covers Liverpool and Adam Leventhal who does Watford for us um Fabio's situation obviously is represented by his family at the moment um and there are different agents around him bringing proposals essentially um to him about his opportunities what what other opportunities lie ahead and then it's down to his, to his family I suppose and Fabio about what they want to do next. Now, we mentioned George Mendes last week. George Mendes is one who's approached the family, um, uh, according to, to one source we've spoken to. So it's <laughs> it, it's not a, uh, a straightforward situation other than, for me, at this point, I don't feel particularly confident that he will stay. But that's more my, my opinion on just, on just how this is sort of playing out at the moment. Um, it's... For, and you, you look at it and go, he's got a good situation at Fulham. Uh, he's playing, 
a manager that really likes him. I mean, we see every time he talks about him, he infuses about him. Um, so, but it's, you know, if Liverpool come knocking, then that's this is, goes back to the original question, I suppose. Does he want to, he sees what's happened with Harvey Elliott. <laughs> He's basically taken that path. And you go, well, there is maybe a pathway there. I could train with some fantastic players. Do they have necessarily the resources of a Man City to suddenly just buy everyone? Don't really get that impression from Liverpool. Got a very good manager. You know, these things These things can have an impact. They don't so- play with a 10, though, which is my big gripe about him going to Liverpool. Now, that's not to say that Fabio can't play wide or that Liverpool might change their system in, in, in time to come. Um, but it doesn't feel like he'll walk straight into that team. What I do think you've got no, nailed no, on not. there, though, is that... <laughs> There's a point to which if you come up to with Fulham to the Premier League, how much ball, how much, you know, I think he'll get minutes. That's not, it's not about that. It's about how many opportunities you get to actually showcase your talent in a team that don't have as much of the ball um, and, and are struggling to readapt. And, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, you know, going up to the Premier League isn't about, are you the best team in the championship? That means absolutely nothing. What it means is how quickly you adapt to the rigors of the Premier League. And if you do that, how often does your number 10 get the ball in the spaces that he wants where he can make a difference and is it better for a young player trying to make their mark at that point to be at a big club and I think the Harvey Elliott one's a key one here it's a really good one you go right what they did is they brought him in and they loaned him back to a championship side when Fulham were playing in the Premier League that seems a bit mad right but actually it doesn't in so many ways because what you want is you loan them back to a side who are dominant, who have the same philosophy as the top club that you are therefore on loan from, and therefore they can learn from those players. Now, obviously, there is moving about. There's getting yourself into new environments. There's a chance that they won't take take to you and, and the fans won't take to you or the players won't take to you, whatever that is. But you are at least in an environment when you go on loan, you know, for, to, or from a Man City to someone like a, a Blackburn or from, you know, a Chelsea or a Liverpool to a Norwich when they're in the championship because they get those same kind of, okay, you're going to have a lot of the ball. You're going to see a lot of, you can see why, you know, players make that path because they are learning in an environment that is not as competitive as, but mirrors the opportunities they would get if they were in a top dominant side. And I do understand that conception. Yeah. I think though, when you say about like the, uh, the prospect of then Fabio going back to that, I'm not necessarily saying it would happen, but yeah. like the prospect of Fabio then having to go back to the championship next year when clearly he's good enough to play a level above, you know, I don't see what's wrong with him trying to you know, prove himself in a club that's lower down. Yes, he might have less of the ball and stuff, but surely I just thought that was better for his development than just knocking it about with Norwich again next season and scoring another 20. As enjoyable as maybe that is, surely he wants something better for himself when he can play at that level. I get... Well, City will also edit. point to... City will point to Phil Foden, I was right? going to say, actually... And say, when... look, we kept him around. We didn't send him on loan because we wanted him to shadow the best players in the world in his position and learn from them so that when he came into the first team, he was ready. Um, and, and you could say that and now does that add up for Liverpool I went on a Liverpool transfer podcast and talked about this a bit I'm not completely convinced that Liverpool is the fit that I would be sending Fabio Carvalho to I don't think he he has a natural position in that squad right now and there's no one for natural for him to shadow um, all of the above I don't think that's but if you go to him okay move left and shadow Sadio Mane <laughs> I'm not sure he's going to be there being like no um, so so you do obviously get those different opportunities you can potentially mould him into a slightly different player but that would be my big drawback on Liverpool not the idea of him going there and, and, and saying I'm not ready all right we're going to take a break there and afterwards we're going to get in some of your emails 
Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Right. Time for some emails. Uh, one uh, normal email before we do this will catch on. Uh, and this one is from Will Kemp, who says, I have tickets for the Blackpool match, a Christmas gift from my wife, as I've never been before. Of it, he says, obviously, I'm aware it might get postponed, but hopefully not. Doesn't look like it's getting postponed, Will, so good news on that front. He then says, other than Fulham, can you London-based people recommend any unusual must-see pubs? I am travelling from Newcastle, so don't get to London much since I left the South East aged 18. He says, great pod, keep up the good work. Um, well, we replied to this email, Drew actually uh, replied to it uh, on our behalf, and he recommended uh, the Bricklayers in Putney which is uh, a decent boozer. The Ship Inn in Wandsworth, which is a, a very trendy place to... That's down the road from you, Peter, isn't it? it? Is. The Ship Inn. A stone's throw, as they say. And the Blue Boat in Hammersmith. I just wondered if either of you two have any other uh, recommendations um, for, for Will. Or like near Fulham? No, London, generally. I think he's interested in general un-London boozers. Um, yeah, I mean... John O's and Ealing Commerce. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. It's not open again yet, so we can't go there. Um, What's the one, the um, one near Waterloo, Jack, that you and I have been to quite a bit down uh, at Cobble King, Street? The King's Arms. I think it's called the King's Arms. It's on. It's the it's the pub that they crashed the car into in Legend. If you've seen that, um, it's on that street, Rupel Street, just off Waterloo Station. That's quite nice. Yeah, um, that's it's a nice little old school boozer. That one in a in a in a road that looks like it could either be on the the set of people blinders or in this case it is the set of legend uh any other boozers uh, that come to mind or have, uh, have we picked uh, a few already that will can go to going really far away from where i live um two pubs i really like are in stoke newington the cliss old park tavern and the old shillelagh um two really the cpt has a massive beer garden it's lots of fun um and the old shillelagh's tiny um, has like a one kind of column entrance and has often has a band in the back. Um, but two good pubs if you're up that end of town. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Right. We'll do some this will catch on. And first of all, we have some exciting news that one of the chants that we played on this podcast two weeks ago did actually become a chant. Now, maybe it's slightly cheating because it we was heard already it on- a chant. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it was only on a bus, though. It was only on a bus. We recorded it. We were genuinely, I feel like, the first people to, you know, put it out there. But yes, it did already have a head start. It's Super Trooper by ABBA for Harry Wilson, Mitrovic and Neeskins. And this is a recording of it being sung on Saturday away at Stoke. <laughs> So there we go. It did, and and Peter said he heard it himself from the press box. Yeah, yeah, no, I did, I did. No, it was it was good. It was good. I was impressed. You know, it's like it's good to see it catch on. It literally has ca- uh, catched on, caught on. Ten out of ten. It's right next. On. <laughs> it's called this will catch on. It's got a catched on past tense. No, it doesn't really work. Okay, next one is another ABBA song. You'll be pleased to know. Uh, this one is from Jack Stroudley, um, who made his podcast debut on uh, Sunday, and he's been texting me for a couple of weeks, bugging me about this one. So I promised him I would play it. Uh, he said, "Got a chant for your section on the pod. It's to the tune of Lay All Your Love on Me' by ABBA, and it's a 
oxytocin song. So instead of going, don't go wasting your emotion, lay all your love on me, it goes, we've got Toast Nana Abayo plays at the back with Reem. We've got another recording of it. This was Jack and a very drunk mate um, on a train somewhere, maybe at Stoke, dunno, but it's funny. <laughs> I mean, I thought it had more than that. I'm going to lie. I thought they did a whole verse. Um, no, but I'm there glad. is a whole verse, but like no one's got time for the verse. <laughs> and they, they didn't know the words. So like. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I saw That's those good. boys at Stoke and they were, they were, they were quite keen to, um, to make sure that worked. So fair play. Yeah. Very, very good. This one is from Matt and he's in Australia. Um, he says that this one is maybe aged at the 50 plus age group. The song was a big hit in the 1970s. He says, maybe your dads will understand. Uh, it's by Quantum Jump, the Lone Ranger. Um, I must admit, I wasn't uh, particularly aware of this song. Sorry to people that that offends. Um, and as ever, we've got a, uh, a voice recording, so uh, we'll play it now. This is Matt's singing of The Lone Ranger, uh, which is a song uh, for Marco Silva. I hold silver away, the Fulham went home and away. But who is the master, you say, that is Marco Silva? I hold silver away. Me, I think he's just repeating it. The Fulham went home and away. But who like is it. the master, you say? That is Marco Silver. I think you get it. I like it a lot, but I can't imagine how badly the Hammersmith end would deal with that last bit. Trying to work out how long to hold the ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it would be an absolute catastrophe. It would be a mess. <laughs> we, we, the Hammersmith end still struggles to sing um, Can't Take My Eyes Off You in unison. So, with yeah, the backing might... track. <laughs> <laughs> he goes on to say, maybe I've had too much sun in Oz. Maybe you have, Matt. I liked I it, though. I enjoyed it. As a, as a song, I did, like, real good. Just uh, I just can't see us um, being able to handle that timing. There's way no. too many, like, beats going on. Um, Peter, were you aware of the song The Lone Ranger by Quantum Jump? No, not a clue. Not a clue. No idea what was going on there. Me neither. Yeah. It, it was a nice vibe. It was a nice vibe. That's, that's all. Don't think it'll catch on though. Uh, we haven't got a clip for this one, but uh, Jeremy, Jerry Smith says, I think it's time to stop singing the praises of Muhammad Al-Fayed and come up with a song for Shahid Khan, bearing in mind the amount he has poured into the club. What do you mean? He went to France in a Lamborghini and picked us up a wonder kid whose name was Adil G. Yeah, I mean, that hasn't, definitely hasn't caught on other than you. Um, Jerry's suggestion is he's big, he's flash, he wears a big moustache, Shahid Khan. <laughs> Shahid Khan. <laughs> Yeah, that'll catch on. That's good. I quite liked it. That's, that I will catch on. That's not hard. People would do that. I quite like that. There we go. He's big, he's flashy, he wears a big moustache, shade Khan. Repeat ad infinitum. Is, I like uh, the idea of he wears rather than he has a big moustache, as if it's yeah. like stuck on with glue. <laughs> he wakes up every morning and goes, excuse me, Mrs. Khan, pass me the, the moustache, please. Okay, final one is from Dan Reed. Says, hi guys, love the pod. Amusing, 
Exciteful, entertaining, but most of all fun. Keep up the good work. He says, I thought I would give the it will never catch on a bash. Not quite the name, but we'll be close enough. <laughs> it's probably it's probably more accurate though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, fair point. <laughs> Maybe we should change the name to it will never catch on. <laughs> this won't catch on. <laughs> he sent us two here and they're Fantastic. both quite short though. So I think we got time to play both. He says, hoping to stand out by coming up with some songs for the back line. The first is in regards to Tosin. to the tune of Stevie Wonder's very superstitious <laughs> timing of song to be sung what? is obviously after a magnificent defensive masterclass. So uh, this one is Dan Reed's song for Tosin Adrobio <laughs> to Stevie Wonder. Tosin Adrobio. Writings on the wall. Tosin at your bio. He always gets the ball. <laughs> Very, Very position specific, that one as well. Yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> Um, and then he then says the second is for Kenny Tete to the tune of Mamma Mia. Yes, more Abba. <laughs> <laughs> So this is Dan Reed's second suggestion. Kenny Tetty flying down the wing. My, my, he is our crossing king. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> we just got to get the next bit and we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he's, he's finished them too early. We needed part two in both of them. Yeah. I wanted to see what he wanted to do for 13-month-old baby in the, um, in the superstitious <laughs> line. <laughs> Um, what we rate how, many, how many clean sheets how many clean sheets we've got this season if we get 13 clean sheets this season we can write the next lines of it we we'll have a look we'll have sheets. a look I don't think uh, we are what, what we rate what we rate in that one Jack uh, very good um, two seven and a halves for me very very enjoyable they just need to be longer but I did enjoy them a lot yeah they, they I just want someone laugh. to write the next bit of the Mamma Mia thing and by the, <laughs> someone I mean probably me um, right. <laughs> we got a couple that's... of brilliant ones that I'm working quite hard on we got one a couple of weeks ago from Michael Wheeler who said he wanted Harry Wilson into Jackie Wilson said I'm in heaven when you smile he said by Dexy's Midnight Runners but I've always considered that a Van Morrison song so um, that's okay um, it also has a really good chanty bit so that's fun but I've decided we're going to try and write the whole thing into a song so that's with George Cooper and I are working on that at the moment and we're also gonna rewrite the one from Cabana Rama which is uh, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting to Fabio Carvalho but it's taking longer than the plan so um, both of them are on the way but we're gonna write try and do them properly when when will we get the album? When's it dropping? I don't know. I mean, George has already released a couple of songs that those of you've been listening long enough will remember, um, including the Anthony Knockart, the Pasha Machon um, song, which was was absolutely sensational a couple of years back. Um, obviously, Cooper's got form for this, um, so we're looking forward to to getting a few new ones out there. We're uh, hopefully we with you relatively soon. Okay. Can't wait for that. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. Uh, another Thursday club and more chance suggestions uh, this time next week. So Jack Collins, thank you very much for being on. Thank you for having me, Sammy. Always a pleasure. And Peter Rutzler, thank you. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Wishing you a happy transfer deadline day. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's always good fun. Enjoy it. All right, we'll see if we can make it five in a row against Blackpool. I very much hope so. Have a lovely weekend. Come on, you whites. You whites.
Oxytocin <laughs> plays at the back with dream. Very good. <laughs>